welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler. Today I'm talking to Sophia James, a romance author who's had a very successful career with Harlequin Historicals. She's got 24 books to her credit and more coming. But in the last few years, she's turned her hand to writing Regency series as well as the standalones. Before we get to hear from Sophia, though, just a quick reminder that the show notes for this episode are available at the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Sophia's website and books, as well as a free ebook and information about how to subscribe to our podcast. But now, here's Sophia. Hello there, Sophia, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Jenny. It's lovely to be here. Now, look, you've had an outstanding career as a romance writer, and I think you've said that you were first attracted to romance as a teen, reading Georgette Heyer on your grandma's porch, and I'm pretty confident maybe that was a purloined book from her bookshop as well. But um, tell me, what was it encouraged you to take the next step and try your hand at writing romance, that once upon a time moment when you decided, I can do this? Well, it was, it was as you say, I did love reading Georgette Hire on my grandmother's porch with my twin sister. And then uh, when I was about 23 or 24, I went to teach English in Spain in Bilbao, which is on the north coast, the Bithkaya, the, the, um, the Basque area, actually. And I was teaching English there in a little, in a, in a little school. And, um, and I, I had very sore, uh, two really sore wisdom teeth. And I'd gone along to the dentist and the dentist said to me, I had to have them out. So I got them out. And when I got home, the, uh, one of the girls from the international school, there was a good international school there, which I'd have much rather been actually teaching at. Um, and she came along with um, a book, uh, a book by Kathleen Woodowis, who I always loved. And that was Shanna, the book Shanna. Um, and she also came along with a whole lot of, she knew I liked historicals and she bought me a whole lot of Mills and Boone's historicals. And I was home from school for about three days, which was so lovely. And so I started reading them. And and when I was reading them, I thought, why don't I write? I'd always written right from when I was really little. And I'd done a degree in English and history. And so then I thought, hmm, I'm going to try one. So I guess that was my, my moment. Yeah. I, and I did start virtually straight away um I used to come home from school at night and start writing yeah that would be my moment now I hate to actually sort of date this but was that on a computer or a typewriter or by hand oh I didn't have a computer then because you know I was traveling a lot and it would have been by hand yeah I I guess I I I always wrote by hand for a long time really um it's only in the last few years that I've swapped you know swapped over to a computer really I always found it was a good way of getting things down and in fact now I still write 
um, really often in bed, if, I, if I've gone up to bed and I'm reading or I'm saying, oh, I've got a good idea, I often put it into notebooks and then I transcribe over onto my computer. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So was it Georgette Heyer that made you think naturally of the Regency period or what was it that attracted you to Regency? Yes, it probably was actually because I read all her books always. And, and you know, you said I probably got it before I got probably got a book of my grandmother's, but I actually haven't. And I really regretted that because they all went to the Raglan Library and I tried to get them later, but never could. And they were sort of first edition, burgundy covered leather sort of things, which were beautiful. Um, but um, so I, I sort of always loved the Regency. And I guess when you're reading a lot of Regency by osmosis, you pick up the conventions of that period. I like the manners of that period. I like the fact it seemed distant from this time. Um, and, and there are just a whole lot of things in it that make a romance, you know, really viable. Yes, I think as a reader of Regency, I, I kind of, you know, gel with that, that you, you yes. have got distinct um, conventions that you're usually working within. And when you break them, it's also interesting. It is. And, and in fact, breaking the conventions is one of the things that I do. I do try to, I, I guess I don't write, you know, that sort of comedy of manners or the real sort of manner of man. I, I often am outside of society in my books. I, I've often got a, a chapter or two inside the society too, but, but often I'm not really. I'm, I'm often veering a little bit out of it. Yeah. It amuses me to see some of the comment online of how picky people get about names and a couple of your readers have got really irritated with names that you've chosen. I know. And it's really interesting that because, you know, when I first started, I guess I was a bit more, you know, conventional and everything. And then, but I always had it in my mind that I was going to write um, a, a trilogy, really. It was with four people called Asher, Taris, and Christo Wellingham. And they'd been in my mind for a long, long time. I think I think High Seas to High Society, which was Asher's story, was about the one, two, about the third or fourth book I wrote. And um, and so I'd always had these names in mind. And they were really people I knew inside of me. And and those names were, were just names I used. Um, I do now try a little bit more to look up the names of the period. I can understand why people, you know, but it is a fantasy really. And I, I, I have to have a name that I gel with or I find it really hard to write that character. I just can't use, although in the, my Men of Danger series, I did use quite, you know, Ger um, Nathaniel, Lucas and Stephen, I think. So those were really just ordinary names. But, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Emerald, um, Amethyst, <laughs> um, who's my new one? Oh, Celeste. I don't know. I, I, I have used strange names. And, and you know, when people do criticise, and I have seen that, sometimes I take it aboard and sometimes I don't. I remember when I first started, someone criticised me for using exclamation marks. And she said, oh, there's just so many exclamation marks in this book it puts me off well after that I hardly used an exclamation mark because I went through and I thought gosh there are a lot so I don't you know sometimes I pick up criticism and other times I don't really I have to write a book that I want to write and I need a name that I gel with yeah yeah it's interesting that you say that the Wellinghams were there quite early on in your career because you know the series thing has become a big thing in the last few years and I was going to ask you what had led you to to write series but obviously it has been there as a natural thing for you for a long time 
Well, Christo Tarrison um, and Asher, they were sort of people I thought about right from the start when I wrote that fourth book or third book, High Says to High Society. But I didn't actually write the series for about mm, four years later, I suppose, on about book eight or nine was uh, was um, One on a Shame Night, which is Terrace's story, which has probably been my most successful book. Um, and he's a blind hero. Um, and and I guess what happened is people kept writing to me and saying, well, where's Terrace's story? Where's, you know, where's his? They mostly wanted his story. And then, of course, I... I whipped on and, and I did Lucinda's as well, which was the sister, and that was a really popular book as well, um, the Dissolute Duke. Um, and so there were four of them in that series. Um, yes, I think series is something. If you can, if you can catch readers in a book on a series, they generally go back and get book like that was book two, Taras. They they'd go back and do book one, three, and four. So it was wonderful. And I I would advise people to write series. Actually, I definitely. I write nearly everything in series now. Um, I think when people have invested time in a world or getting to know the characters, then they feel it pays off, they can go to another book. Yes, that's right. Well, because you know that world, you've already invented that world. You know the, the house that he, and you know the family. You know their, you know who they are, their personalities. You know what their history, in in, in some sense too, which which throws you into another book with a lot of a lot of backstory. It's much easier. Yeah, I would definitely, um, you know, writing writing from a backstory when you've had three others or two others or even one, it definitely quickens up the process. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Taras, the blind hero, yes. and I think you also are known for having a lot of haunted or damaged heroes, even in The Penniless Lords, each one of them carries a wound, whether it's seen or unseen. And I wondered if there was something about these, quotes broken men that you found particularly interesting to write. Yeah, it probably is, because there's always a backstory that's, that can, you know, propel you into the book. Um, I do like broken, damaged heroes, and I think my editor does too, Linda Fulju. She sort of encourages me to write damaged sort of heroes. In fact, I've just finished, um, mine was book four on a continuity called the Wicked um, Wicked Gentleman series. It's sort of a, um, I, I wrote it with Christine Merrill, uh, Anne Lethbridge and, Lethbridge and Diane Gaston, and mine's the last book in that series, and that's just come out now, uh, September, October, November, or August, September, October, November, my book's out in November. And it was interesting because in that series, I was given the broken hero. So, you know, it, it is probably what I, I, I like to write. In fact, I can't think, have I ever written someone who wasn't really broken or damaged in a hero? I've started to swap that over into heroines. And my next book, um, and I don't know the title of it yet, um, it's coming out in early next year, um, is actually a really broken heroine. So that's been interesting. Yeah, it's just that all that backstory you can you can you can piggyback on it and 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 start to you know put it in your story. Often when you write a very damaged hero, it's quite hard to have a really damaged heroine alongside them. So that sort of pulls you off into who the heroine is going to be and who the hero is going to be too. So you have a whole lot of um, you know stuff coming through into the into the book. It's great. Is there something that about historical fiction in general that you find appealing? Um, well, I write in two periods, actually, although I write mostly in, in Regency. Um, and I am a professional writer. I have to make some money, and it definitely is the one that you make the most money in, the Regency 
um, you know, the Regency time. And and I hate to say that, but you sort of, you know, I am writing to live. This is my job, my full-time job now. But I really love uh, medieval. I, I have written three books in medieval Scotland in around 1360. And um, and I've loved that period too. The, the medieval period is really harsh. And, and, and in that, there's a freedom because you can get your hero to or heroine really to do virtually anything. I mean, in Regency, it is a bit structured and, and there are strictures. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that. But um, I guess I love writing in the historical uh, genre because it feels um, it feels different than this. It feels I, I, I've tried to write contemporary, and I actually have written one, but I never published that one. Um, I, I just like the sense of history, I think. I have a history degree and I've always loved history. Um, and so that's just been something that I've just really been always interested in. Yeah. Now, I do notice online you get quite a few foreign language reviews as well. So I guess that your books have found their way out of the English language into a lot of other languages. Yes, they have. They have. <clears throat> um, I think the historicals generally go, they, they pick them up Um and I think I'm, I'm published in lots of languages now. I don't know, maybe 20 different languages or maybe more. Um, and you have places that are that you get a lot of fan mail from. Brazil seems fairly um, vocal. I get a lot of fan mail from there. Um, but, yeah, I do. Germany, Italy, France. Um, oh, lots of interesting places. And, in fact, in some of my books I get, I can hardly work out where they're from. And my name isn't Sophia. James, it's Sophia James Sober or something. <laughs> um, and I love it. I love getting the foreign copies. Uh, they come through the mail. I get three of them. And I get them quite often, really. Gosh, every few weeks, really, or a month or something. Probably less than a month, really. Um, and so, yes, I do publish over there. And that's one of the lovely things about Harlequin Historical. If you are, if anyone's thinking about writing in Harlequin Historical, you know, there is that, they do widen up and um, and, and translate your books and you, you can get them translated to lots of languages. And that's quite, you know, that's really lovely. It's great that you don't have to do anything yourself to, to make it happen, isn't it? it and that's another thing why I really like Harlequin Historical. I've got an amazing editor, um, Linda Fulju's just lovely, and she's a sort of personal friend too really now. Um, and I trust her and really like what she does. I, I would feel quite worried if I was just writing my book and then just trying to publish it myself because I always get really good revisions, um, often 10 pages of, you know, oh, what about this, what about that? Maybe not structural revisions but just – you know, about character or about continuity or about chronological sort of events. Um, and I love getting those big revisions. I'd feel, I'd feel quite nervous to put a book out without them. Um, yeah, so that's one really lovely thing about working for Harlequin Historical, um, I think. It's been, it's been a good relationship for me. It sounds like a safety net that would be quite nice to have. It is. It really is. Um, I mean, I'd probably have to go and get someone to look at the books, but I but I trust Linda and I know what she – I like how she – I virtually do every single revision. I very seldom say, oh, no, I don't really believe in that. I just do it because it's really lovely. I, I actually get – when I get my revisions back, they've been through two or three editors. I mean, Linda's my main editor, but there's always, there's always one who's like a super historical person and picks up things that, you know, that we don't. Um, and then there's always the, the, another person. So maybe three eyes have seen it and they 
they come back with three sets of revisions into my revisions. I really love that. Yeah, and it makes me feel better about a book. I, you know, sometimes I put books out and I think oh, that was a mistake, and but not very often. I, I very seldom find big mistakes in my books, which is lovely. That's great. Moving away from talking about specific books to a slightly wider look at your writing career, Sophia, if there is one thing that you have done in your writing career more than any other, what has it been that's been a secret to your success? Well, you know, I I wrote by myself. I've been very... um, isolated I think as a writer when I first started and um, then in 1998 was it 1998 must have been um, the Clendon Award came out for Romance Writers of New Zealand um, and I had heard about it and I put my first book into uh, that that competition and I won that competition and then I joined Romance Writers of New Zealand and I'd say you know that was just such a lovely thing for me because all of a sudden, you know, there was a whole lot of other people that I that I could under, that were my tribe. It, it's a funny thing people say that, but it kind of is really. And I met, met lots of wonderful other writers, and I went to the conferences and I learnt and learnt and learnt. Um, I would say, if you're really serious about being a writer, you actually have to get the book out there, and and it's a, and it's a really scary thing to do. I remember when I went to. Uh, it was the post office over at Titarangi and I had to post it there before a certain day and I wasn't and I wasn't and I wasn't and then Pete, my husband, said, come on, we'll go over and have a cup of coffee and you can over to Titarangi and you can you can post it and even putting it through the box, it felt like my baby and were they going to tear it to bits and, you know, and it was so important to me too. I really wanted to be a writer and I, and um, you know, I, I suppose going into the competitions, joining the romance writers groups if you're writing romance that was huge for me yes yeah yeah that work would and I and I really think it's hard to do it all by yourself because you know when you first start things like point of view and um the deep point of view and um just just a lot of the a lot of the the rules of of romance rules in a way that you can be broken but you have to learn them before you can break them I think sure sure Mm. Turning now to thinking a little bit about the research that you've done over the years, and I think one of the things that people often like about historicals is the thought that they could go and see the places where these stories have taken part. And yes. I'm just I'm just wondering if there's certain places in London or even further afield in Europe, because I know the penniless lords get into into Europe quite a bit. Um, anywhere that if you were going to organise a magical mystery literary tour for your books that you'd trip advise people to visit? Yes. Ooh, gosh, what would I do? Well, lately I've been setting a lot more books in Paris. Um, and Paris is a city I know very well, probably better than London, really. Um, I, I've always taken – we've taken tours um, – art tours really and and older New Zealander tours we've sort of stopped now we virtually do it ourselves now me and Pete (laughs) Um, but uh, probably Paris actually and I'd show them my Paris the the Paris I I often well the one I've just written um, Celeste is the heroine and she's coming up through the Palais Royal and the back streets of of the Palais Royal up past the Bourse and the uh, I know those areas so well because I always stay in the Tim Hotel which is in the first arrondissement just behind Palais Royal and I can imagine her walking with me um, in those steps so I suppose it would be that magical mystery tour really it would be Paris I think 
Yeah. Sure. And that Celeste book, is, what's the actual title of that one? Look, you know, I'm not sure. It's just gone in. It was, um, gosh, I don't I can't even remember. It hasn't come out to me yet. Okay. It's still new. Yes. yes. It's not yeah. going to be out until next year. Um, I did send it in as Surrender to Love, but they didn't like that. So I think it might have been A Night of Surrender or something. I can't really remember. I can't, can't think what that's called. Yeah. Sure. You mentioned that you had done these art tours as part of your non-writing yes. life. And yes. I wondered if there were any particular favourite artists or artist places that might have sparked a writing inspiration sometime. Oh, um, well, you know, I mean, we're, our, our trips were always very art-related, but we actually mostly, well, we were in, in Paris, of course, at the Diorsay and all the beautiful um, writers there. Um, but we were mostly in the south of France, really. The, the, the impressionist writers, Bonnard, um, um, Matisse, um, Cezanne, uh, Picasso. He's not impressionist, he's more. Um, you know, we, we sort of did our art tours mostly, and in Italy, really. We used to go to Italy too. Um, no, not really. I, I don't know that. Well, actually, I've just written a book um, uh, called, hang on, what's it called? I can't remember. Um, Ruined by the Reckless Viscount. That just came out a, a few, a, about a month or two ago. And the woman in there was actually an artist. And so I would say it's not really inspired. Those books aren't really mostly inspired by pictures. But Pete was great then because he's an artist, my husband. And so every few minutes I'd go down and say, now, how would you do this? How would you do that? So that was inspired by, you know, actual art. Um, yeah. Do you mind me asking what Pete's professional name is? What Peter Featherston, but he hasn't. He's actually gone away from painting a bit, bit at the moment, which is terrible because he needs to get back to it. He's been doing architecture and, you know, trying to get our family through with three children and that. But they're all big now, so we're building a new little house on the front of our section, and then he's going to get back into art. So, and it's nice because having him as an artist and having me as a writer, it's so similar. The, um, you know, the the the, the things that he does and I do, we're often talking and saying, oh, you know, I'm having a problem. He says, oh, I have that same problem. So it's quite interrelated, really, all, all the creativity, all the aspects, all the all the, the parts of creativity are actually quite similar, I think. That's been quite interesting. That sounds yeah. fabulous, yeah. Look, turning to Sophia as a reader, you've mentioned that you were a very keen reader when you were young. Have you had that feeling of wanting to binge read an author or a series? And if so, who is it that's attracted you? I guess all through my life, one of the ones that has attracted me, um, I've had about, I've had lots of them actually. When I first started, I used to write, I used to read and everything of Georgette Heyer. Um, then I found Kathleen Woodowis and she was a woman who I used to read a lot of her books. And I went on to Judith McNaught and um, uh, who else did I go on to? Um, Garwood, Julie Garwood. Uh, but but then I found Diana Gabaldon, who who's you know of course her Jamie and Claire, um, which was such lovely characters. She was she's probably been the one in my life who I've always reread and read again because I love her characters. I love her sense of characters. She's so clever. Um, I suppose it would be her really. And and there's a um, a show on TV at the moment called Outlander, and I'm really loving that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, would you change anything about how, how you've gone about things? That's a good question. Would I change? Um, I don't know. Probably not really. Um, I, I've written books that I've liked myself. I've, I've never put a book out that I thought I wish I hadn't written that. 
Um, I take a long time to write too. I'm not really a fast writer. I only write two books a year. So one, once I wrote three. Um, but mostly, no, I don't think there's much I'd change. I think going into those competitions earlier on was really good. Um, the Clendon and the Ruby, that was really good for me. Um, I think now, perhaps from now on, I mean, I've written about 23 books or 22 books. Maybe it's 24. I don't know. I have to go and see what they are. Um I'm kind of looking at a change now, really. I'm looking, maybe I'll write another couple of books, but then I'll, I might veer off and do something completely mine. Yes, that's interesting because that was going to be my, my next question was, what was next for Sophia James and what were your current projects, really? Well, my current project at the moment, I have my, have my mum sick this year and I've been looking after her So, and she, you know, passed away. So that this has been quite a hard year for me in some ways and actually I'm struggling with my the book I'm writing at the moment. I, I, I guess I am just was really sad. Um, but I, I'm thinking that I want to jump out of the historical really in, in some ways on that period and I'd quite like to write a book based in New Zealand that's great. And would it be contemporary as well or semi No, it wouldn't be. It isn't. It's the 1930s in, in Chelsea and in Birkenhead. So, and I'm, I'm sort of really been reading a lot of screenplay books and things at the moment, how to write a screenplay. It won't be a screenplay, I don't think. But um, I, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm sort of really having a little bit of a sea change, really. And it's actually a book I, I started a long time ago. Um, I've just got so much enmeshed I guess into the, into the Harlequin historical and having to write two books a year and I've got a life outside you know, writing um I haven't really done it but 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 I think probably in the next year or two I'll, I will probably only you know maybe even go back to one book a year with Harlequin historical and give myself a chance to try something different yeah and so obviously that wouldn't be one that would quite fit the Harlequin mold the Harlequin historical uh, lines and guidelines are actually very specific. They are. It's a romance. Uh, you know, the, it, it, it's you said about history and research and everything, and of course there is research, but but most of it really is a romance set. You know, in a time in that time, and and the romance is the most important part of a Harlequin historical, which is lovely too. And I actually personally like that. Um, but the the book I want to write next isn't like that really it's a romance as well but it's only a little part you know more romantic elements in a yeah, book yeah um, around a historical time and a period and a historical event I'd, I'd like to write that next sounds fabulous yeah yeah well I hope it will <laughs> um and I'm 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 sort of you know I've got a contract I've st I'm still on contract with Harlequin Historical and I don't want to burn my bridges particularly. Um, I'm still enjoying writing for them and I really like Linda um, but I can see other things in my future too really. Does that contract yeah. require a certain number of books a year? Um, it does actually but they're, they're fairly generous with me. Um, I mean I haven't, I really do think they would allow me you know to try something else too. Sure yeah. Well, so far it's been great talking and we are coming to the end of our time, but I'm wondering how best can readers find you and your books? Do you have a website? Are you active on social media? Or well, I'm, I'm, I'm not really terribly active on social media, actually. Um, uh, I, I, I have got a Facebook page, Sophia James, you know, just on, on Facebook, um, and sophiajames.com on the website. I, and I try and keep that one up. Uh-huh. Do you like to talk to your readers or interact with your readers? I do. 
and I often get fan mail through through Harlequin. I often get little letters and cards and things. It's really lovely. Um, and I do often I often get um, emails from 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 readers and telling me, oh, what's happening and when's the next one coming? And I liked this one. And I do get I I I, I guess that's how I do it. Really, you know what? My most important thing is really to write a good book. Yeah, that is the key to it all, isn't it? the key to it all. I mean, I've got friends who are on social media all the time and I try not to be so much on social media because it really eats up your time and I haven't got all that much, you know, apart, you know, when I'm writing, I'm writing. I'm not really jumping onto, I'm not really jumping onto Facebook or um, all the other ones. I, I get it on sometimes, but not that much. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to talk. It'll, it'll be quite a challenge to put these show notes together. I'll probably have to ask you by email for the spelling of some of those French names, but we'll get it together here. So thank you so much. Thank you for, thank you for thinking of me for this, and it's been such fun. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading.